Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. So today we are continuing, we're really concluding, but we're continuing what we've been in this, this whole month of, of a how-to guide. Uh, we've shown you some crazy videos as we've come out. It's, I had a lady tell me after the first service today, it's a reminder of why women live longer than men. Um, but I, we, we've been talking about how there's some instructional guides in life, some things when we're trying to put together furniture and, and do different things. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that we're really looking to elevate our view of God's word, the Bible in our lives, that it's not just a book of thou shalt not, it is a how-to guide for God's best for our lives. And so we've looked at that across a couple of different subjects. We talked about a few weeks ago, what God is asking of us and what he's instructing to us in the way of faith. How do we live by faith and not by sight. Uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about family. How can my family live in such a way that it honors God's word? What does God's word say to me? What does the Bible say to me about how to live as a family? And then last week, Pastor Trevor talked to us about friendship and relationship as we kicked off our group's season. And we talked about just the importance of and the need for relationships in each of our lives. So today I'm gonna look at a subject that as soon as I say it, some of you are like, man, this is what the church is always doing. We're gonna talk about money. Now, again, when I say that, some people that have experienced church hurt, perhaps this is one of those areas, one of those subject matters that gets kind of blamed for church hurt in a lot of ways, sometimes very, very viable and other times potentially uh, something that just got lumped in. But we we don't talk about money maybe as often as we even should here at the church. We we really try to leave this between you and the Lord. But today I do wanna look to the Bible to talk about what does God's word say to us about money? Well, we're in luck because it talks about it a lot. The, the subject of money, the idea of money is talked about um, more than most of the other subjects that we talk about more regularly in the church. It's talked about more than forgiveness. It's talked about more than mercy, more than grace. It's talked about it more than the church. Um, the only two subjects that are talked about more than money in the Bible are love and sin in some form. And so when we think about the Bible and we look to God's word, we recognize that there are so many different places that we could go to, to understand what God would have for us related to money. Now, when I start talking about money, you're like, well, what does this sound like? What are we gonna talk about? We're gonna talk about a lot of different things. We're gonna try to hit a lot of different things in the time that we have available to us today. But one of the things right up front that I think is important for all of us is the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter six, verse 24, when he says this. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, here's what we know. We all know this. If we're not careful, money becomes like an idol in our lives. And, and what I mean is you're not like bowing down to worship it necessarily. You, you know, you're not singing worship songs to your money or your bank account. You're not walking into the lobby of your bank or, you know, what, and, and, and kind of having a worship experience. But we do recognize that money is so important in the ways that we conduct our lives, how we pay bills, how we get to do fun things perhaps. And the stress that comes with financial pressure so often creates a binding in our hearts and our lives and we carry that stress And so what happens is it becomes such a focal point that often when we serve money, worship money, focus on money as primary, it pushes God out in our lives. It becomes that God is less and less a priority and money becomes the priority. And priorities and perspective matter. Now, here's one of those like all skate things. Like if you talk back right here, this is gonna be way more productive in this moment. So I'm gonna ask you a question. You can just 
call out your answer. You don't have to raise your hand. This is not a class. How many in the entire world? So let's use a round number, 7 billion people in the world right now. How many billionaires with a B do you think there are in the world out of 7 billion? Call it out. 3,500. Somebody else. 2,000. Somebody else. 1,500. All right, so we're kind of all around it. So out of 7 billion people in the world, there are 2,700 billionaires with a B. Now, maybe you look around the room and you're like, is there a billionaire in the room? If there is, I'd love to meet you right after church. We just want you to slide the decimal point over, just one, just, you know. No, no, no. But there are 2,700 billionaires in the world out of about 7 billion people on the earth. All right, so here's another question for you. We're gonna jump back in. Now we're gonna look just at the United States, not talking about billionaires, but we're talking about millionaires. Out of 330 million people in the United States, how many millionaires with an M do you think there are? Call it out. 30,000, 250,000, 5 million, 30 people. All right, so here's the number. 30 million is a number? Okay, 20 million millionaires out of 330 million people. So if you do the math, my son helped me just a few minutes ago. The math tells you that one out of every 16 and a half people in the United States is a millionaire. And so when you start thinking about that, obviously we're talking about net worth, we're talking about assets, we're not necessarily talking about all liquid cash, right? And so I recognize that some of us, you're thinking about, you're like, well, I'm definitely not a 2,700 billionaire out of the world, and I'm not in the 20 million millionaires in the United States. I'm not even a thousandaire. Like, I don't even know how to rub two nickels together. And I recognize, like, there's a lot of different contexts in a room like this. And so I get that. Maybe, maybe there are some people in the room and you say, hey, I'm, I, I've been blessed. I've been you know, wise with money. And so I don't really know that you can tell me anything today. And, and perhaps not, that's not my hope or my intention. But wherever you find yourself on the continuum of trying to figure out where you fit in this, priorities and perspective are important. Because when I start talking about 2,700 billionaires, maybe that seems overwhelming. Maybe none of us would, would think that's ever possible in your lifetime. or my, when, when I start talking about maybe 20 million millionaires out of 330 million people, like, I don't really know. Like, I don't, you know, maybe a lot of that's in retirement accounts. I don't have a retirement account. My retirement account is the kids I'm raising, hopefully, you know, and you're trying to figure out how that all fits together. But I want you to recognize that if you're sitting in the room today, in the greater scheme of things, in the greater context, you are rich. You are rich. When you look at the entire world, we recognize that over 50% of that 7 billion people in the world live on less than $3 per day. Less than $3 a day. Less than $100 a month is over three and a half billion of the people that you and I share the globe with right now. So you and I are rich. But what happens is our perspective is not based on looking at those people and looking at their circumstances and looking at their conditions and not looking at their context of living, but we look in our context, right? We look at the people we do life with. We look at the people that live on our street. We look at the people we go to church with. We look at the people our kids go to school with or maybe play on the ball team with. And so it brings us to a place to try to gain proper perspective. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, this is a, a letter that the Apostle Paul is writing to his young protege. And he says this in chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 
Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So the Apostle Paul is saying to Timothy, he says, command those who are rich in the present world. And I would say for every one of us in the room, that's us. That includes us. In this present world, all of us are rich. He says, if that's the case, don't let us be arrogant and put our hope in wealth, which is is fleeting. It's so uncertain. And we've seen that in so many different ways over the last few years, perhaps. But he says, hey, now command those people to have proper perspective and to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And when you do that, you won't have your hope in the treasures of this earth. You will have your hope in the treasures that will sustain, in the life that God is calling to, calling you and I to. And so it's about proper perspective. It's about understanding what we actually possess and what is important. Now, here's here's what you are not going to hear me say. There's nothing wrong with money in and of itself. So often we hear this idea that money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. If you read the scripture, it says that the love of money is the root of all evil. It's when we put that servant mindset, that, that, that God-like, idol-like mindset towards money and towards possessions. When we look at our paychecks as the provider for our lives rather than looking to God as the provider of our lives. So if you've got money and there are things that you want and you desire and you're managing money, you believe in a way that honors God and is according to his word. If your life is about trying to live in that way, there's nothing wrong with having nice things. There's nothing wrong with finding a toy that you like and getting that toy. Like, I I love those things. There's nothing wrong with that. It's about the proper priorities and the proper perspective of where money exists within our hearts and within our lives. Because what happens is when we don't see ourselves in the proper context and the proper priorities and the proper perspectives, we take our eyes off of God We put our eyes on other people and what they have, and we then begin to think that we lack something because we don't have what they have. And that leads us into a place of debt, right? So I'm gonna get in some some mess here. I'm gonna get into some business for a minute. Debt is the thought that what I can't afford now, I can actually buy now and pay for later, right? We all understand how this works. Of course, the bank would love to give you the money to buy the couch, to buy the TV. And you, you don't have the money right now to buy it. And so it's like, no, we'll give you 90 days, same as cash. How amazing does that sound? Well, this bank is not in it. Now, if you're a banker or a lender in the room, I'm not condemning you to hell right now. I'm sure you love Jesus with all of your heart. I'm talking generally the industry, right? Of course, they're gonna loan you the money not because of their sincere bleeding heart toward you, because they know that 90 days same as cash is gonna turn into six years of interest payments. And they're gonna end up paying for that couch about four times over through your payments. They're gonna pad their own bank accounts. That, that TV that you could save a few dollars or wait until you know Black Friday or wait until another time when some of that goes on sale, you want it right now. And so they're gonna absolutely give you the credit to go and buy that thing and you're gonna pay for it two and three times. When your kid hits a wiffle ball into that TV and breaks the screen, hypothetically in my house, you might still owe money on that TV that no longer works for you, right? I mean, this is, this is the reality of, of debt. You... you you know that bank's gonna loan you two or $300,000 to buy a house because over the course of 20 or 30 years, 
they're going to get four or five or $600,000 from you for that two or $300,000 house. And you're like, man, you're getting in my business. I mean, everybody, you know, borrows money to pay for everybody borrows. Well, once we start looking at everybody and we take our eyes off of Jesus, that's where sometimes we get in trouble. So what is it that the Bible says about debt? Well, there's this incredible truth out of the Old Testament that God actually created a system to manage debt. He understood, according to the way that he was establishing his people, that there were times that you might need to borrow from a neighbor. You might need to borrow some money or borrow some things. And so what he did is he established a system that, man, don't we wish this system would still be in place today? And some of you are snickering because you know right where I'm headed. He established this system that at the end of six years, if you had not already paid back the full debt, that they wiped your debt clean. The seventh year was a year of jubilee. And you're like, whoo, I wish they'd do that. I don't want to declare bankruptcy. I just want the year of Jubilee. And you dance, a, I mean, that hip that doesn't really work real good, it's about to start working because you get the year of Jubilee going and it gets to shake and it's like, I don't owe it anymore. I don't have to pay. Because God understood that if you were borrowing from someone and you needed to in the short term, that you were going to be faithful in processing those, your intent was to pay them back 100%. But if for some reason you weren't able to do that, that your neighbor, your friend, the person that you borrowed from would understand that. And so short-term debt in the economy of God within the Old Testament was something that he accounted for. The problem is when we mismanage our finances and we overborrow in things that we know we're gonna pay way longer than we should and pay way more than we should, and we get ourselves in trouble, we overextend Ourselves. The average American right now, even in the economy with stimulus checks and all of the things that are taking place, the average American right now is living on approximately 109% of their take-home income. That means, if you know the math, they're spending 9% more than they bring in. And so when we start thinking about that, I realize some of you in the room, you're like, that's my reality. I'm not asking, this is not an all-skate here. You don't have to raise your hand. The pressure that you feel you want to make wise decisions right now, but you're not really sure how to get things turned around because of the crush of the debt that exists in your life. Proverbs 22 and 7 speaks to that reality when it says the, rules, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave of the lender. Debt is a system by which you give up control. And if you've got a plan and you've got some systematic way to make sure that that's a short-term borrowing arrangement, as short as you can possibly accommodate, then more power to you. Use the wisdom of God and understand that you have to reprioritize some other things to try to make sure that what God entrusts into your hands, you are using it in ways that honor God and honor your family and the commitments that you need to make and not just allow someone else to get rich off of your decisions. And so what I would say to you is if you find yourself in that place, if you find yourself under the crush of that kind of debt, one of the things that I would encourage you to do, and this is definitely gonna sound like a commercial, is to jump into one of our G groups this semester called Financial Peace University. We're offering it on Sunday nights. It begins in about three weeks, I believe it is, September the 12th, I think. No, I'm sorry, September the 19th is when that launches. They're gonna meet for nine weeks. And I would encourage you to get into this group we offered this group just a few years ago. We had four households during that semester. I just wanna give you like the statistics of what happened with those four households. They got in it because they said, hey, we need some help managing our money. We need some help reprioritizing our finances. 
And during that nine-week time, just that nine-week window, not what's taken place after that nine weeks, just during that nine weeks, those four households were able to save about $2,700. They needed an emergency fund. They needed to be able to pay if the air conditioner went out or the car had trouble rather than just go further and further into debt. They needed to kind of put a little bit of a nest egg to the side to make sure that if something happened, they had a little bit of money to begin helping to pay for that issue. And so those four households just in the nine weeks saved over $2,700. And you're like, well, that's not a ton of money. In nine weeks for those people, that was a humongous amount of money. Not only did they save money, they also paid, paid some debt down. In just those nine weeks, in addition to saving $2,700, collectively they paid off $5,000 worth of debt. And you're like, man, I would give anything to do that. You don't have to give anything. You just gotta jump into financial peace and get into some community with people who are just like you. They're trying to figure out how to make it. They're trying to figure out how to be wiser with the money and the resources that God's entrusting into their hands. And you say, hey, that's what I wanna do. Then you go online, sign up for that group, let them know you're coming so they can be prepared. And, and I believe that God's going to help you as you take that step to get out of some debt and to be able to manage your money in a healthier way. So that's debt. And so, so many of us are trying to figure out, okay, how does that how does that help us? Well, so many people, when they are asked this question, if you didn't have debt, if you didn't have obligations, what would you do with the money? Like if you still got the same amount of money coming in, but you didn't have as much money going out, what is it that you would do? You wanna know what most people say? They say, give, I'd give more. I'd give more away. I'd help more people. And the reality is that, that that's what we want to believe. My experience, both personally and as a pastor, helping walk through circumstances with people, is that more money just makes you more of who you already are. More money just makes you more of who you already are. So if you have a little and you find ways to be generous with just a little, when you have more, you will find ways to be generous with more. But the inverse of that's also true. If you have little and you find ways to be stingy, I'll let you finish that statement. The reality is that more money usually just makes you more of who you already are. It's a heart issue. Do I love God or do I serve money? And so if I'm really trying to dig into what God is saying, what does it look like to give? Well, we believe that that starts with the tithe. This is definitely gonna sound self-serving. I don't mean it to be, but I, I believe if we're gonna talk about a how-to guide and we go to what God's word says to us about money, we start with what I believe God says is the baseline of how we manage finances. We believe not just as a church, but also in our family in the tithe. The tithe is the 10th. It's 10% of our income. We start with that. It, we, we set it up right now through our church website as a recurring donation, like the 12.01 a.m. or morning after we get paid, it immediately comes out because we want it to be the first thing that we, we do with our finances. But we've tried to always do that in every season of life to the very best of our ability. So we start with the tithe. The, the, the most famous tithing scripture comes from Malachi chapter three. There's a number of places, but Malachi chapter three, verse 10 says this, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse, depending on how you would read it, would be the place that you're, you're gathering together. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Until there's no more need. Test me in this, 
the Old Testament says. You're like, well, I don't, I don't believe in the tithe. There's a lot of reasons I don't believe in the tithe, but one of them is that's Old Testament. Jesus came, he fulfilled the Old Testament. It's no longer required. So what did Jesus say about the tithe? Matthew chapter 23 and 23, this is Jesus speaking. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices and mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters, the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter, those matters of justice, mercy and faithfulness without neglecting the former, the tenth. Jesus himself says like, Tithing's the baseline. It's like the first thing that you would do with your finances. Now, we have people within our church that see this very literally, and it's not just about dollars and cents. They have a garden, they give a tenth of whatever comes out of the ground. They bring squash and zucchini and corn to the church, and they're trying, how can I bless somebody? And I'm like, well, I love squash and zucchini. No, I'm just saying, like, we, we try to find people that we can bless with that as they give of the tenth of the produce of, of what they're able to produce. And then obviously we have hundreds and hundreds of people over the history of our church that have given the 10th, they've given the tithe financially out of the money that they bring in, the increase. My son Branson and I are reading through the Bible together. He asked me a few weeks ago if we could do that. And so we've begun reading the Bible together. And so every day we're reading a little bit, a few chapters together. And then we talk about it. We're doing it through the Bible app so we can kind of make notes there and talk to one another. And then he'll come to my room or he'll come down. He's like, I'm sorry, I got another question. Who is this guy? And where do we go with this? And what does this mean? And, And he said to me a few days ago, he said, it's amazing to me that right up front, like really, really early in the book of Genesis, we see the tithe instituted. We see Abraham giving that away. We see others that are giving the 10th. And so as I think about that, I believe it to be the baseline Jesus said there's more that we do even above that, but we start by giving the 10th. Here's what that does for for me. I'll just speak for me. Here's what that does for me. It prioritizes that money is not what I use to sustain me. I use God to sustain me. And so I'm asking God to do more with the 90% that I keep in my possession than if I were to keep all 100% for myself. I'm asking God to honor that and to bless. And that's what he says in Malachi chapter three. He says, see if I won't open up the windows of heaven. See if I won't pour down blessings upon you. What we believe is that God blesses you, not in a name it and claim it kind of blessing. He's not your genie, but he blesses you as you honor him, as you put him first in the area of finances. Here, what we believe at Generations Church is that we are a part of a denomination. We're a part of a, a network of churches. There's thousands of churches that we're connected to. And so as a part of that, we try to honor that and we give money away as well. And so when you tithe and you designate it as a tithe, when you give 10% of your your income to and through the church, then we give 10% of all tithes that are designated as tithes to our denomination. And so that is used to help provide resources and ministries and things around the world and locally here in North Georgia. It provides for the camp facility that we send our students to during the summer. And so that, that facility, that, that property was provided for by the tithe dollars of the other network of churches that were connected. So when you give as a tithe and you designate it as tithe, then 10% of that goes to help fund that. Some people say, hey, I want all of my tithe dollars to remain at Generations Church and helping the ministries here and the local ministries. And so when you designate your tithe as church ministry dollars, then those funds stay here in our church and we try to steward those as well. And so the idea is however you choose to designate your tithe, we believe it's what God is asking of us to begin in the management of our finances and honoring God in that way. But even as you determine what is it that I'm gonna do, what the tithe and then the legacy makers or the over and above, the offerings, the special projects, all of those things, 
I believe that God responds to that. I wanna read you a story. This comes out of our church. I had a family that sent this to me and they gave me permission. So I'm gonna share names. This is Duffy and Melissa Sparks. If you don't know Duffy and Melissa, you're missing out. They're, they're fantastic folks. They, they usually work at the check-in area of our G Kids ministry upstairs. Duffy's the bald guy up there and you know the kids love him. He takes a week out of his vacation time every summer to go and serve at our summer camps. And he, they're just a great couple. This is Melissa writing. This is what she said. She said, Duffy and I were not always good stewards of our money. We ate out too much. We spent a lot on our son Ben's ball stuff. And that was for Ben, but it was also our social life. But we were spinning our wheels and living paycheck to paycheck. We set an amount to give at church that we could afford and we gave it and we thought it was good enough, but it wasn't even close to 10%. While listening to one of your sermons on tithing, it touched both of us at the same time. We said, we have to do this. God needs the top and it's gonna be okay. We can give up maybe eating a few meals out every now and then. And so we sat in service and we calculated 10% and we went on the church website while we were sitting there and changed our giving amount, recurring amount to 10% before we could go home and talk ourselves out of it. And since that day, we haven't missed that money at all. It always just works out. Things didn't happen all at once, but we never missed that money. And pretty soon, both of us got promotions and raises. And within a few months, I got a totally unexpected amount of money from a death in our family and for helping to care for this individual and the paperwork involved in their sickness. It wasn't a huge amount of money, but it paid off my car and this allowed us to live debt free. Our lives are totally changed because of the financial stress being gone. What would your life look like without financial stress? Now, again, I'm not telling you that your relationship with God is transactional. God's already given us more than we could ever ask of him. So I'm not saying you give and God's gonna give. Like that's, that's between you and God. But what I do believe, and I've seen it to be true in our lives, is that when we put God first in the area of finances, God, who is our provider, shows up. He shows himself, he reveals himself to us. And I said to you earlier, just a few minutes ago, I said, listen, this is gonna sound self-seeking. Here's what I, I beg of you to know about me. And if you've attended here for any length of time, I pray that this has been obvious to you. If you haven't attended here long enough to see this, just hang around. I pray that it will become obvious to you. Every single time that I take this stage, every single time that I stand behind this podium, this pulpit, every single time I open God's word and I stand in front of God's word to deliver what I believe God has laid on my heart for us as a church family. I don't want something from you. I want something for you. I want what I believe to be God's best for your life. And so when we open God's word and we talk about what it means to live by faith, I wanna express the truth for you. I don't wanna hold anything back from you. We talk about what it means to live God's best in your family. I wanna give you all of the truth and not hold anything back. We talk about friendship. We talk about relationships. We talk about holiness and seeking righteousness and in pursuit of God. I wanna give you everything that I believe God's word says. And so when we come to a subject like money, man, it makes preachers uncomfortable to talk about money because it does seem so self-serving sometimes. But I don't wanna hold anything back from you. I believe God's word is clear. And I wanna deliver it to you, not because I want anything from you, but because I want something for you. And so perhaps you know right now, like what you need to do is jump into financial peace because here's what we know. And I'm about to make all the English teachers in the room sweat because I'm about to use a double negative. Most people don't not give because they're stingy. 
Most people don't give because they're strapped. It's not that you're stingy, perhaps. It's just that you're strapped. You're you're just over-obligated. Financial peace can help you to reprioritize the decision-making in your life and to make those kinds of decisions in ways that honor God. And, And we believe match his word. And so I encourage you, look to financial peace. It's a great place for you to look. But here's the other thing we wanna give you the opportunity to do. We've done this a few times throughout the history of our church. If we're gonna take God's word at its word, then we wanna give you an opportunity to test God. That's what he said in Malachi chapter three, did he not? He said, test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. So we wanna give you the opportunity to do that. We wanna give you a 90 day tithe challenge. Here's what you would do. Go to g.church slash tithe. You go there, there's a form. It's a confidential form. It, it does not ask you the amount that you're gonna give. That's between you and God. We never send to you like, hey, you haven't given in a while. Hey, you know, is everything okay? Hey, this is the amount you said you were gonna give and now you're not. We don't do that to you. It's between you and God. I had a friend tell me, or a lady in our church one time tell me when they were going through what is now our discovery track class, they said, man, I went to a church one time that in the membership class, they asked for our bank routing number because they were gonna auto deduct our tithes if we became members. We've never done that. It's not our heart. That's between you and God. Giving is between you and God, but we wanna present you the opportunity. If God says to test us, then here's what we're going to provide you the opportunity to do. You fill out the form. It just has today's date. And then between you and the Lord, you determine what does it look like to trust God in the area of finances and to begin tithing. If you can't get to 10%, you get to 3% or 5%, 8%. You begin tithing in a way that you desire to increase your ability to do so. At the end of 90 days, if you come to us, you send me an email, and then you say, hey, I just, I don't think it's for me. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that God kept his word or I'm not really sure how this works, but I just, we will write you a check back for every penny you've given from the date you put on that form. It's confidential. We're not gonna like judge you. I promise I won't think less of you. It's between you and God. God is provider. But if you say, hey, I'm, I'm just not sure. At the end of the 90 days, you come to us or at any time during the middle of that, you come to us and say, hey, I, I just don't, money back guarantee. If God says to test him, we're gonna allow you to do that. 90 day tithe challenge, g.church slash tithe. I encourage you to take the opportunity to do that. We had a number of people to do that earlier today. We've had people do that throughout the history of our church. I think it's worth it to test God and to see if this is somewhere that you can trust God. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray, close our time together today. And I recognize some of you, you say, hey, I know the first step for me is to trust God with my salvation. It's not even about my money. It's about my life, my eternity. We wanna give you a chance to respond to do that. And for others of us, it's just say, hey, I wanna, I wanna trust God with my finances. I wanna make some smarter decisions. I gotta figure out how to get out of debt. I gotta figure out how to trust God in the area of finance. And so we wanna give you a chance to do that as well. I'm gonna ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment as we just reflect on what God has done in our time together today. If you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I know that I need to accept God as my Lord and Savior. I need him to forgive my sins and to be my Lord. And I wanna take that step today. I don't wanna wait one more moment. If that's you, would you just lift your hand so we can pray for you today? Nobody's looking around. Just a moment of reflection between you and God. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I want to honor God with my finances. I wanna make sure I'm not serving two masters here. And I wanna make sure to the very best of my ability, I'm living according to God's word in the area of my finances. Maybe I'm doing okay, but I, I could do a little better. Maybe I'm doing terrible and I need to take some first steps. And I'm asking God to help me. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? I wanna pray for you today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. God, we love you today. And we thank you for our time together. We genuinely thank you for the opportunity to gather and to worship and 
just to honor you. And so God, we pray for those who can't join us. We pray for those who are sick. We pray for those who may be watching online but desire to be here and those that are watching online that wanna be right where they're at. So God, we just thank you for the unique ways that we can gather together. And so God, right now, I pray for every person who's acknowledged that they need you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. God, would you forgive their sins, be that Savior, but also become their Lord and let them trust as you lead them every single day. And God, now I pray for every hand that was lifted to say, hey, I wanna manage my money God's way. I wanna lead my life in ways that honor God, including my finances. God, it's a tough thing, but I pray that you would help us to make sure that our priorities and our perspective are in order and we're honoring your word. God, we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.